Well, if you get our weekly email updates or you've checked out our website, you know that you're in for quite a treat. This next hour is something I've been looking forward to for quite a while. For the first uh, half hour, we're going to chat with Deepak Chopra, who uh, is huge. He's a superstar. He's like the spiritual guru to the stars. I don't know. He's had so many labels, so many labels. But before we get on to Deepak Chopra, let's get on to somebody I have no problem labeling, Bruxy Cavey. Trying to think of a good label to give you. <laughs> what, how, uh, how do we describe? Wants you? to pretend he's a superstar. Yes, but, uh, you're a wannabe. That's right. Is that it? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Bruxy is author of The End of Religion. Uh, this book has really become quite a hot commodity out there in the market. You're the teaching pastor at the Meeting House, and uh, you've been a co-host of ours a number of times. So thanks for uh, thanks for coming back. It's a privilege to be invited on, especially today. Quite looking forward to this. Without any further ado, let's uh, let's move right into things here. Uh, Dr. Deepak Chopra, he's a physician, philosopher, author of The Third Jesus. Uh, folks, this is an interesting book. Uh, Bruxy has a copy of it right here. In The Third Jesus, uh, best-selling author and spiritual leader Deepak Chopra provides an answer to this question that is, is both a challenge to current systems of belief and a fresh perspective on, on what Jesus can teach us all, right? I mean, regardless of our religious background. There's not one Jesus, Chopra writes, but three. And check this out. And you'll get this. The historical Jesus, right? Number one, the historical Jesus, the man who lived more than 2,000 years ago and whose teachings are the foundation of Christian theology and thought. Number two, the, the Jesus, the Son of God, who has come to embody an institutional religion with specific dogma, priesthood, and devout believers. And number three, the cosmic Christ. I can already feel people's hairs going up in their back of their neck. You know, it's the every time we use the word cosmic or consciousness, you know, the <laughs> Jesus people just get all wigged out. The spiritual guide whose teaching embraces all humanity, not just the church built in his name. Uh, Chopra really speaks to the individual who wants to find God as a personal experience to attain what some might call grace or God consciousness or enlightenment. And let me tell you, there is a phenomenal blog that he's involved with here on BeliefNet. Folks, you've heard me rattle on about BeliefNet before, and I'll do it again. BeliefNet.com forward slash Chopra family. Now, I've got to make sure I've got all the pronunciation down here. Is it, Dr. Chopra, are you on the line? Yes, and so is my daughter, Malika, who blogs on BeliefNet as well. Well, thank you both for joining us. I mean, how do I address you? You've got so many titles. You know, I was, when you're talking about labels, I was reminded of this great poem of Rumi. He said, uh, if you label me, define me, then you'll starve yourself of yourself. Nail me down in a box with cold words, and that box will be your coffin, because I don't know who I am. I'm still deciding what I'll do when I grow up. Wow. Well, thanks. I appreciate you joining us, Bruxy. This is Dr. Chopra. It's a pleasure to meet you, uh, both of you, and you can call me Bruxy. Yes. And Malika, how are you today? I'm very good, thank you. I'm so glad you're both on. This is fantastic. This is a family weekend for a lot of us. Easter, how does the Chopra family celebrate Easter? Well, I love the idea of resurrection. So resurrection also means death. So we ask ourselves, what is it in us that's... Uh, needs to die, some addiction, some toxic habit, some toxic emotion, something that's not uh, serving us anymore. So let's bury it and let's resurrect ourselves to a new way of looking at the world. Nice. And Malika, sort of the same answer for you? Well, same answer, but I have two young kids, so um, right now they're decorating Easter eggs with ah. friends while I'm on the phone with you. Nice, nice. Well, good for you. Uh, here's a recent post on your blog on BeliefNet. 
I'm speaking as someone outside the Christian faith, but it's my belief that Jesus belongs to the world. The promise of resurrection is also universal. If Jesus was in God consciousness, he must have opened the same path to his followers. He told them that through God, they would accomplish things as great as he did and even greater. Isn't that what we should take literally? If we don't, the awe of Christ's victory over death will remain, but the possibility of a first-hand miracle becomes far more remote. That's a very interesting quote there, Dr. Chopra. Can you maybe just pull that apart a little bit? Yeah. You know, in the Gospel of John, in chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. The crowd uh, picks up stones to kill him. And he says, many good works have I shown you, for which of these do you stone me? And the crowd responds, they say, we stone you not for a good work that you do. We stone you for blasphemy, because you being a, a man, call yourself God. And then Jesus quotes from the scriptures, uh, to, from the Psalms, a thousand years before his time, from the time of King David. He says, is it not written in your law, I said, that you are God? And if it can be said of those through whom the word of God came, uh, that they are gods, then why do you say I blaspheme? Because I call myself a son of God in the Greek, by the way, not in the King James, a son of God. In the King James, the son of God in italics. So to me, that means he's referring to the spark of divinity that exists in all of us. You know, what you read the book of Genesis, the Lord God made man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So we all share the same breath of the divine, the Ruach Adonai, as the Hebrews call it, the Muslims call it Ru, Indians call it Brahman, which literally means breath of God, and uh, it's Kanefma in Greek. And I think what Jesus is saying is he's speaking of a state in which we feel united, you know, one with God. I am a son of God. I am with God. I and, the, and God are one. It's a state which is referred to in many traditions as unity consciousness, that our soul struggles between separation and unity. And when we find that unity, then we are holy, we are healed, and we have come home. So to me, the message of Jesus, as I pointed out in that block, is resurrection for all of us, whether we are Christians or not. I don't think Christ was a Christian. No, and I would agree with you on that. I don't think Christ was a Christian either. I think Bruxy and I are looking at each other, nodding and agreeing. That's right. right. Makes a lot of sense. Bruxy, what's your reaction? What's your response to that? Sure. Well, picking up where we left off there, I would say we don't think God is a Christian. And uh, because we do align Christ with God, we would say God's not Christian. He's God. He's just a greater reality than any one religion would be. And our goal is to to want to get as close to that reality as possible, not draw that reality into our label and make it fit our label. Having said that, um, uh, Dr. Chopra, uh, the book, for me reading it as a Christian, I have to say, we could spend the next half hour talking about those points of connection where I was really pleased on some of the things that you confronted and appreciated, or we could spend the next half hour talking about points of disagreement, uh, points of challenge, and have a robust debate. And uh, Drew, I'm looking to you to say, where do we go? Well, you know me. I mean, the reason I I like to have uh, folks of of different colors and different backgrounds and different faiths and beliefs on our show is I like to, uh, to, to build some bridges. I like to find what the connecting thing is here. And what can we learn from Deepak Chopra? here. Well, can I can I start by asking a question again? Uh, Dr. Chopra, can I call you Deepak? Sure, Deepak. 
I want to be able to tell people, you see, I'm on a first-name basis <laughs> with Deepak Chopra. It's really all about me. Yes, it I is. I have not transcended the ego. Um, but uh, then, uh, Deepak, I, getting behind the, the veil, getting to the essence, the core of reality from your understanding, uh, at times you refer to ultimate reality as impersonal. At times there's, we're all part of it. Um, your understanding of God and just working outward from there, do you see Jesus is somehow showing us God in a unique sense, or is Jesus a, a, someone who has achieved enlightenment and that he is demonstrating something that we can all achieve, that uh, in some sense the only difference between Jesus and us is a matter of time, that we need to follow his example and become as he is? Uh, that, that would probably be a worldview conflict that uh, I just wanted to give you a chance to speak to. You said earlier uh, on theology and on history, we can uh, talk forever and we'll never get any place because, you know, doctrine and theology is a complicated thing and it's changed over eons of time and history is uh, frequently journalism and you know how reliable that is. Mm. Um, so the only place where I can um, talk to you is is the mystery that we call God. And if we label God, confine God, define God, even in the form of Jesus, then we have limited God. You know, this is a little speck of dust in a minor galaxy that we call planet Earth. is little speck of dust somewhere in the junkyard of infinity. There are billions of galaxies. To squeeze God into the volume of a body, the span of a lifetime, given an ethnic background, a male identity, and put him in the Middle East is not really doing good service to the magnificence that we call God. And yet, in the words that Jesus spoke, in what he said in the Sermon on the Mount, I find a window to the divine, if I could only practice that. And so why can't I practice that? Because I'm not in the state of consciousness that he was in. And if I was, yes, I could. So do I not long for that? Do I not yearn for that? Do I not aspire to that? Mahatma Gandhi was not a Christian. He carried the Sermon on the Mount with him wherever he went. He practiced it to the letter, and he brought down the British Empire without firing a single bullet. So for me, it's not important to discuss the theology, to discuss the exclusivity, to discuss the history. For me, it's important, what can I learn from Jesus Christ? Malika, I want to ask you a question. Of course, uh, being the daughter of Deepak Chopra comes with uh, a big spotlight and a lot of baggage, I'm sure. Um, you know, I guess the baggage that comes with it is that everyone assumes my brother and I, um, you know, can articulate things as well as my father. <laughs> right, right, right. We're often asked um, our opinion on whether it's a health problem or a spiritual crisis. Right. Um, and so obviously we've grown up in this environment, but that's not necessarily we both have... Um, our own focus as well. Sure. But for a lot of families who grow up in some sort of faith tradition, uh, the kids, you know, come to a point where they stop living off their parents' faith and either begin their own individual journey, sometimes even in another faith, or they just chuck the whole thing all together. What, what was your journey, Malika? Um, well, we grew up, uh, I learned how to meditate when I was nine years old. So I grew up meditating and um, grew up with all of the amazing people that my father um, worked with and interacted with. Uh, but honestly, it wasn't my journey really only started my own personal journey of self-discovery when I was pregnant um, because that became a time when I started really questioning who am I, where do I come from, um, what are my goals on this planet, and they were very much shaped by this new life inside of me. 
You know, it's amazing. Uh, over the years, uh, having worked in cr- a lot of different Christian ministries, especially with young people, when they get married and have children or start having children, they kind of come back. You know, they, they've wandered away, but now they sort of wander back. And I think that's I think that's what you were saying. Once you started having children of your own, there was a reconnect. Absolutely, absolutely, because you really feel an urgency to know who you are um, and where you come from to pass on to your own children. Uh, Deepak, I, I've heard you say that you've studied the Bible as much as any other scholar. Scholarly study may not be the right thing, but, you know, here's the scoop. Uh, I was brought up by parents who came from different faiths. So my mother actually came from the Hindu faith. My father came up uh, came from the Sikh faith. But because the education that I got was best given in a Catholic school, I was sent to a Catholic school, St. Columbus, which was run by Irish Christian missionary brothers. So, you know, throughout my childhood and going on into teenage years and up into the 20s, I attended catechism classes, I attended the Mass, I must have read the New Testament at least a thousand times, and also the Old Testament, you know, everything from the book of Daniel to the book of Genesis many, many times. So I was very familiar, which is not the same thing as doing scholarly research. And there were parts of the Bible that really spoke to me. Uh, I never converted to any faith. In fact, I started to to dissociate myself from um, the Hindu faith as well, because I found that, you know, there was a lot of hypocrisy in organized religion. Hindus were violent like anybody else. They just happened to be vegetarians. (laughs) So, you know, I kind of started to say, how can I find a spirituality for me that makes sense to me, that, uh, you know, is consistent with modern cosmology, biology, evolution. After all, these are very successful sciences. And how can I still have uh, a yearning for the divine? to answer questions like uh, what Malika was asking. Where do I come from? What's the meaning and purpose of my existence? What happens to me after I die? Do I have a soul? Does God exist? The questioning remained. And so for me, spirituality became about first-hand experience and not second-hand belief or faith. Because I discovered, uh, much to my dismay, that the most fervent believers were actually, um, you know, quite... um, quite um, fearful. They were hanging on to belief. And, you know, if something is true, then you need not have belief, because belief then becomes a cover-up for insecurity. If I asked you, uh, do you believe in electricity, you would say, what kind of a question is that? You know, electricity is real. We just have this light bulb. You know, if God is real, if the divine is real, then I should experience the divine, it should change my life, it should make me more compassionate, loving, understanding, forgiving, all the things that actually Jesus does speak about. Sure, sure. Folks, we are on the phone with Deepak Chopra, his daughter, Melika, and uh, Bruxy Cavey. Bruxy, again, I, I always look at you and go, what is, I see smoke coming out of your ears, you know, so. <laughs> well, smoke and a smile. Yes. I think, again, uh, Deepak, com- coming from a Christian position, there'd be so much that we could challenge and disagree and debate over, but right now I think I, I would like to highlight the uh, the fact that in your book you do challenge some things that should be challenged. You are a voice that I think has something to say to the religious fundamentalist. Your emphasis on peace 
as fundamental to who Jesus is as something that the church lost sight of through much of its history as something that needs to be heard. I have to say, in some sense, those people who wouldn't want to read through the whole book should start at the last chapter and read backwards because your critique of of the Christian religion uh, departing from the teachings of Jesus and a desire to get back to the biblical teachings of Jesus, I found very admirable. And on that point, there was a real resonance. I was wondering if some of our listeners would want to hear one or two of those you know, sometimes it takes someone who is not involved in the organized religion, who is uh, standing at a bit of a distance, to be able to see things that some you can't objectivity, see. Some objectivity, sure. Yeah. So, are you asking uh, Deepak I, what advice would you give to the to the Jesus? Yeah, people I've read here? I've read the book, but maybe some people who are listening to say, what are some of those things that you see within the church today or over the years that you would you would love to see change and maybe even hmm. get clo- more closely aligned with Jesus himself? With uh, in the church, some of the things I'd like to see change. Certainly, you know, the elevation of women to equal status, um, stopping to really get involved in, um, you know, things like research, whether it's stem cell research or cloning. Jesus has nothing to say about those two topics for sure. Uh, Stop pronouncing on birth control. Stop uh, condemning gays as um, uh, sinners uh, while hiding pedophiles in its own clergy. I mean, there are some of the most sensitive issues, and they influence our political structure. And they're not really Christian either. You know, they're, I don't know where they come from. So uh, I would love to see those traits. And, you know, you have to realize I admire um, Jesus as, as more than I admire any other uh, person on this planet, um, you know, other than the few um, luminaries that I speak. I also have a relationship with, but, you know, Jesus has influenced my thinking ever since I was a child, and I would say, if you really want to honor Jesus, then we just you don't even have to read the whole New Testament. You just keep reading the Sermon on the Mount. Melika, have you honestly felt total freedom to follow any religious teachings, or, or have your parents steered you more towards one particular faith tradition over the years? No, we were definitely brought up to look at all religions and respect all religions. Um, so, you know, one of my favorite things to do was always to go to a gospel church because, um, you know, you feel the, the thrill of spirit there. Hmm. Um, likewise, similarly with my children, um, I've taken them to mosques and to temples and to the Gurdwara um, with the Sikh tradition. Um, so for us, it's more about understanding that spirit and that concept of God. Um, that was the way we brought up, were brought up, and I never felt the need um, because I really embraced everything, and we were taught to respect everything. Deepak, what what if your daughter came to you one day and said, you know, during a family dinner, came over with with her kids, uh, she came to you one day and said that she decided to become one of them born again Christians. How would that, how would that go over well, in your house? You know, we've discussed this many times. My my daughter married an Indian boy. But when she was growing up, uh, you know, my wife and I would say, what if she came tomorrow and she said she's uh, uh, getting uh, married to an African-American or somebody from uh, China or from Ghana or something? And we said, you know, that's what she wants, and that would be so totally so good for all of us to step out of our limited ways of thinking. My son is married to a Chinese-American. And so, you know, I'm just giving that as an example to say that it didn't matter what they embraced, either as a philosophy or as a religion or as a faith or as a lifestyle, if they were happy, which is the most important thing. When you're happy, you uh, 
radiate that and you make other people happy, which is what life is all about. Well, yeah, I mean, Deepak, you are a firm believer in the pursuit of happiness, uh, that happiness is a spiritual goal, uh, yet, yet Jesus never taught about happiness directly, did he? Jesus talked about peace, profound peace that passes understanding, which is the most important and significant component of happiness. But again, here's a man who you hold in high esteem, greater than any other, and yet he had no, you know, the, the Sermon on the Mount, for example, didn't really hunker down into the world of happiness. Remember, he was talking to people who are struggling with life, who are eking out a mean uh, and poor existence, and he's promising them um, the kingdom of heaven if they actually become selfless. And all the research on happiness shows that the only way to be happy is to be selfless and make other people happy. Well, and, and I'd love to chime in to say some of our debate can be about uh, semantics. The word joy is certainly used by Jesus, and he, in teaching, yeah. and I think uh, this is quoted in Deepak's book in John 15. Jesus says, uh, yeah, I'm telling you these things. He says this after he's, he's giving them very robust teaching. He says, now I'm telling you all of this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. So there is a desire that uh, that even through the suffering and through the difficult times, there can be a sense of joy, whether we call that happiness or see that as something else that is more transcendent. I still think there's it's not a, a, a an emotional way of being or state of consciousness Jesus doesn't ignore that one of the biggest uh, criticisms of um, you know Eastern philosophy and also so-called new age spirituality is that it's self-indulgent and that is not really a good understanding because you know transcendence is going beyond the personal self to experience the transpersonal self and to experience our relationship with each other. So um, when even when we talk about happiness, as Bhakti was saying just now, it's not talking about an overwhelming emotional state, which is uh, mm. melodramatic or hysterical. It's talking about the peace that comes from actually going beyond the personal self and experiencing our connection with each other. Again, on the phone with Deepak Chopra and his daughter Malika, and uh, the website, beliefnet.com forward slash Chopra family. I mean, all you got to do is go to Beliefnet, uh, and you'll just type in uh, Deepak Chopra. This this blog is tremendous. There's some great videos there, some some great context, some great, really good stuff to think about. And again, I, I wonder about, you know, growing up in your family here. And Malika, you know, you, you grew up with such a diverse, and, and this word is used in a negative way in, in, in the Jesus scene, and I don't mean this as negative as it might sound, but in a diverse sort of pluralistic spiritual openness, which I wish many of the Jesus folks would, would not necessarily embrace, but would just be able to grasp the concept of, especially the openness aspect. And I guess what what I really want to know is behind all of that thinking is this journey concept. We're we're always journeying, and and it would almost be it sounds like it's too naive for any of us to land on a particular truth. And so I wonder, does that mean that you will you will journey for the rest of your life and never land spiritually? I think yes, absolutely. It's a journey because we're always discovering new things, um, but. For me, it's been that ability to connect to something inside of me that I'm not fearful of. And um, I think that openness to exploring many other religions or many traditions is also letting go of fear of things that we just don't understand or that are not familiar. Um, so for me, the journey for myself and especially the journey as a mother for my children um, is to give them that security that they can always 
discover new things and find excitement in differences um, and also the commonalities with other people. As an additional comment, there's yeah. a beautiful sentence in Václav Havel's uh, inaugural speech, you know, the founding president of the new Czechoslovakia. He said, uh, seek the company of those who are looking for the truth and run away. Like <laughs> Quite good. Malika, I was, I was wondering, uh, who causes you more grief? Is it Tara or Leela these days? Oh my God, um, my six-year-old. <laughs> but uh, it's it's again, it's a new phase for us, and it's a new journey, um, and we're having a lot of fun while we're figuring things out. Maybe Leela will will be the same when she reaches six. Yeah. <laughs> uh, who's who's your hero? It's kind of a you know typical cheesy interview question, but I often wonder about the hero concept in our world these days, and it seems to be uh, diminishing quite substantially. Uh, uh, you know, I'll ask both of you that question. Who would you say would be your hero, Malika? For me, I've seen heroes in my own family, um, my father and my mother, who I write a lot about, um, and, you know, definitely my grandfather. Uh, my father's father is very much a hero for me. Um, and then, you know, I think we look at uh, heroes in the sense of what they represent, whether it's, you know, like you said, Martha, Mother Teresa or Martin Luther King or Nelson Mandela, um, people who really stood for something um, that represented uh, uh, something we achieved to be. And Dr. Chopra? Well, I'll start with my parents also, you know, my mother especially, and also my father, but my mother, who was not an intellectual, but, you know, brought us up with mythical and religious stories. And my father, who was a very compassionate human being, he was a doctor, and, you know, for uh, once a week he saw patients free of charge. He was a military doctor otherwise. My mother used to uh, cook food for the patients, and they would come from all over the country. And when they left, she would uh, make sure that they have enough money for their train or their bus. And, you know, I never forgot that loving compassion that they both exuded. And these days my heroes are... Uh, these two girls, Leela and Tara, who every day show me the power of innocence, the power of wonder, the power of curiosity. And now we have a little grandson, but he's too little yet to so have a, you know, for me anyway, to have a meaningful relationship, although I'm looking forward to that. And then, of course, um, you know, from a bigger perspective, the people that Malika mentioned um, Martin Luther King, Mother Teresa, great hero of mine, and uh, Mahatma Gandhi and Nelson Mandela, and then going to towards divinity, Jesus Christ and uh, Buddha. You know, I'm quite surprised no one said Oprah. <laughs> <laughs> I told Oprah if she was married to me, she could be Oprah Chopra. <laughs> 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 Man, well, well said. You've said that before. Uh, yes. Deepak, you, you say it took 30 years to write this book because you weren't ready for it. So, so what happened in your life to finally get you to the point of being ready to write this book? Uh, well, uh, you know, I've been making notes for 30 years. In fact, um, I'm writing another Jesus book at the moment. So wow, you're on a roll. I, you know, I have been making notes for 25, 30 years uh, ever since, and that's the way I do books in general. But most books I feel ready after a year or two years. And this, uh, I had a lot of trepidation. Number one, you know, even though I was brought up and educated by Irish Christian missionaries and was as familiar with uh, 
uh, Christian theology as anyone else, and I've actually lectured at Harvard Divinity School with Harvey Cox, who's a great Christian theologian. Mm -hmm. I just had trepidation because I'm not, you know, in part of the Christian faith. But what made me feel ready is exactly what you were saying earlier in your program. Right now, we're living at a time where religion has become divisive and quarrelsome. And that's not a good thing. You know, if you can look at the unifying factors um, in these religions, especially, you know, there are more Christians in the world than any other religion. Uh, and they are a very powerful, influential group of people. And if you look at the true message of Jesus, it has it has the potential to heal us all. I think it's important for those who are listening to understand that there's something perhaps even more powerful in a conversation like this than what might some people perceive as, hey, it sounds like Drew and Bruxy, Malik and Deepak just all agree and believe the same thing. That's why they're getting along and having a pleasant conversation on the radio. Warm fuzzies. Warm fuzzies. But uh, yeah, I don't know about you, Drew, but I sit here actually as someone who would disagree with uh, with Deepak on some significant issues surrounding Jesus. Sure. Yet my approach is to say, uh, how can I how can I still have ears before I have a mouth? How can I listen before I speak? How can I learn? And uh, and even from someone who I have disagreement with, to say I want to I want to first hear you out, and uh, and there's going to be some truth in there that I need to be corrected by and be challenged with, and uh, and I might be swayed on certain matters. I might mm. come away still disagreeing afterwards, but it doesn't have to lead to uh, to war, whether that's verbal warfare or it's um, you know physical warfare as it's been throughout the centuries. When we don't confuse acceptance and agreement. When we can actually fully accept and embrace someone, even when we disagree with them, there's something more powerful there than trying to get everyone to agree all the time, because that will never happen. And uh, just in light of what he was saying about uh, about war and, and the violence of religions, I think uh, some may say we have to get everyone to convert to our religion, then we'll all have peace. Yeah, right. right? And, yeah. Right? You only have to visit a church to find out that's not true. <laughs> that's not true. No. Christians don't have peace among themselves. <laughs> um, but, uh, but I think the even greater goal is to say we won't confuse acceptance with agreement. We can fully accept and with gentleness and respect have a learning, uh, engaging, uh, growing, spiritually growing and enriching dialogue even with someone that we might hold significant disagreement with. Deepak, have you been invited on very many Christian radio or television shows? I have uh, done a few. I've done one uh, on Sirius because I am also on Sirius and there's a Catholic show there that I've done and done a couple, but not really many. No. What has been some of the reaction? Uh, I assume there's been a mix of positive and negative, uh, but from the Christian world, what have been the extremes, positive and negative, in the reaction I, so far? Again, because I grew up with Catholics, I have a lot of Catholic friends. I've maintained Catholic friendships, including with my Irish Christian missionary brothers and nuns at Fordham and um, and uh, you know the, um, the university in Indiana. Why is it escaping my mind right now? So and and Catholic priests and those friends of mine have actually uh, been very sympathetic and very uh, very supportive of the book. Hmm. There is um, a site called, called Catholicism dot org. It's not really an official Catholic site, but it's a group of global, uh, you know, Catholics who uh, have created the site, Catholicism.org, and they actually uh, published uh, an article uh, labeling me as Antichrist and an enemy and without, uh, you know, signs showing up a little before time and so on. Hmm. And so there's been a little bit of that uh, negativity. 
mostly from radical fundamentalists, but it's much less than I anticipated. Oh, well, just wait. It's coming. <laughs> Sorry, I don't have as much faith. You're so encouraging. <laughs> That's right. But you do have uh, an endorsement from at least, I think, one Catholic uh, sister in the front of the book. Maybe there's more here, but just flipping over. Right, and from yeah. the Bishop of Newark, uh, you know. You know, let's let's just finish, and, and thank you for your time. I've, I've so much appreciated this. This is a first for Christian Radio or Christian Media in Canada, and uh, I, I just want to say thank you again. I do appreciate your time. Let's wrap this up uh, by asking both of you, Malika and, and Deepak, maybe you could throw out your perception of evil, because, you know, the, the Christians have it all wrapped up in... In Satan, <laughs> I gotta basically. tell you, Drew. I thought you were heading towards a really positive, upbeat conclusion <laughs> upbeat to this. Conclusion? No, let's you just let's share our me. final thought. Let's hold hands and share a final thought about mm, evil. How about that? <laughs> you should know me better than that. Um, what you know? How, how, what do you guys? How do you folks define evil, Melika? Yeah, you know, in for me, there is no such thing as evil. Um, I think there's there's shades of. Um, judgment and everything, but, you know, I don't believe that there are people who are completely evil and people that are completely good. Um, we all have our shadow selves and we all have things we're dealing with. Um, so for us, approaching evil has been more understanding why is someone doing something that they're doing and trying to empathize or connect um, to overcome that. I, I totally, you know, uh, just what Monica said is very beautifully said. Look at the word evil, by the way, and spell it the other way around. It means to live. So evil is that which uh, uh, takes us away from the life force or life itself or living. Evil is the projection of our personal and collective shadow. We all have this shadow. Even, you know, when you use the word devil, it's the divine feeling ill today. There are different hmm. uh, aspects of the one uh, one mind with one God, and um, we have this shadow uh, inside us. It's prim it's that impulse that makes us feel separate, rather than being I and the Father are one, is being separate from the divine. And that shadow, and you know, we call Lucifer is a fallen angel after all, and so we uh, project that collective shadow as evil. The shadow is. Um, present in everyone. If you don't have a shadow, it only means one thing, you're standing in darkness. If you're standing in light, you have a shadow, and this shadow is primitive, it's dark, it's secretive, it's dangerous. If you ignore it, it says, you're ignoring me, I'm going to embarrass you. And so, you know, repression of any kind, um, secrecy, anonymity, non-transparency, uh, poor leadership, abject conditions, poverty, uh, cruelty, examples of poor peer behavior, passive bystanders. These are all conditions in which the shadow comes out. We saw it in Abu Ghraib prison. We saw it in Guantanamo Bay. We're seeing it in the Iraqis uh, who do suicide bombings. It's all, uh, you know, if you start to understand this, then you'll really know what Jesus was saying again when he said, he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. So rather than confronting evil and fighting darkness with darkness, I think we need to heal our own selves. And when we do that, and if there's a critical mass of us that are doing that, then we'll diminish the evil in the world. I don't know whether you realize this or not, but when you 
let it go and say what you really think, which I think is probably most of the time. There is so much to unpack in, in what you're saying. I mean, I'm sitting here stunned and trying to process. I'm like eight steps behind. And I was keeping up. Yeah, Gabruxi was so fine, you know. but I was, I was off in a la-la land. Uh, Deepak, thank you. Thank you very much for, for what you do for your spiritual thirst. I think that's um, something I resonate with quite a bit. And, and Malika, same thing uh, yeah. to you. And also, thank you both of you for your gentleness and respect. I find that's a... For, um, having us on your show and being open-minded to have us on your show. You've both been absolute gems. And, uh, and folks, again, the, the website is beliefnet.com forward slash Chopra family. That's C-H-O-P-R-A family. There's some great stuff to read all through that website, but this blog in particular. Uh, yes, and I've been almost tingly driving to the studio today to think I get to talk to Malika and Deepak Chopra. Uh, to the, uh, this is an amazing uh, opportunity, and I was consoled only by thinking that you were probably just as tingly, thinking you'd oh, have the chance to he, talk to me. He's delusional so, now. Yeah. <laughs> he's absolutely. <laughs> but, but this has really been a tremendous Thank privilege. God, Thank you so much. Thank and you. God bless. Thank you, folks. Bye bye. Thank you. Quite a fascinating chat there with uh, Deepak Chopra and his daughter and uh, BeliefNet is a, a tremendous website there's lots of great things on there from Tony Capolo to Brendan Manning to Philip Yancey to Deepak Chopra we're going to take a real short break and come back with uh, Bruxy me and you if you'd like to phone 905-338-1250 we're going to chat about what we just chatted about stay with us of the north. 